You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for a day of life at all, but particularly for the Sabbath day. Thank you for the blessings of rest and worship, of fellowship, and of service in your cause. And Lord, in these coming few minutes, we want to see not only what's going on around the world or even around our territory, but Lord, how you're calling each one of us to be a co-laborer, a missionary for you. So bless us in a special way, for we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Happy Sabbath! I have to tell you that last year at this time, we were at the Village Church doing a Sabbath school program to an empty church. So it's good to be here with real live saints at Michigan Camp Meeting. Um, we are, I, I think this is kind of a new thing for the Sabbath school program. That was, I'm impressed with, I want to thank the pit crew here for cleaning up real quick. Um, in the past for Sabbath school, we've, we've done it off to the side of the stage and Pastor Cameron and I were saying we really feel bad for the folks over there. So we're trying to make it a little bit more central this morning. I want to explain to you a little bit about what we're doing with our Sabbath school class. This may look an awful lot like a Sabbath school panel, but it is not. And I'll explain what I mean. But I would like you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. After the book of Proverbs... Ecclesiastes 5, and I'm going to start in the first verse. I want you to know what it says here this morning. I'm going to tell you that what I'm about to say is going to irritate some of you. I guess that's okay. I've been in ministry long enough to know that happens. And it, 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 it may just go one ear, in one ear and out the other for others of you. But I'm hoping that you, as people of the book, want to follow the book. And I think there's some good insight here in the scripture for you and I when we come to church. Notice what it says there in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1. It says, walk prudently when you go to where? What is the house of God? Church. And that's here today for us today. Walk prudently when you go near to the house of God or when you go to the house of God rather and draw near to do what? Here rather than to give thee what? sacrifice of fools. So it's contrasting two things, hearing or giving the sacrifice of fools. Now you're going to see what that is in just a moment. For they do not know that they do evil. Verse 2, do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore let your Words be few, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. Let's do the math on that. What is he telling us here? When we come near to the house of God, we should draw near to do what? Listen instead of, what is the sacrifice of fools in the context? Talking. There are a lot of folks who come to Sabbath school just to talk and not to learn. There are folks who don't come to church unless they get some kind of exciting return out of it 
I think we have forgotten that church is intended to be a place of learning. Now, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean there's not talking and discussion in Sabbath school. But let me tell you something I have seen more and more as I work in the Sabbath school department. First of all, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here for Sabbath school. Our Sabbath school attendance in North America and westernized, westernized countries is abysmal. My brother went overseas, and, um, and I forget exactly where he is. He works for the General Conference Sabbath School and Personal Ministries Department. They were at the church at 9.30 in the morning. In that locale, people had to come to Sabbath school on foot. Some of them walked four or five hours to be there, and he said at 9.30 it was standing room only. And so Pastor Cameron and I, of course, as, as director and associate director in our Sabbath school department, our job is to do the best we can by God's grace to revive our Sabbath schools. And we've had to ask ourselves, what is languishing? Why, is it, why are we having such a difficult time in Sabbath school? I think, in part, it's because we're not using that Sabbath school time to teach the Word. And this is what I mean. I've gone to many Sabbath school classes. I'm not even going to ask you this morning if you'd studied the lesson we're about to review. But I can tell you that Seventh-day Adventists, multitudes of them, come to Sabbath school class having never cracked the Sabbath school lesson, but they have plenty to say about the lesson. Now, how can you have so much to say about a lesson you've never studied? Because you already think you know it and don't need to learn. I don't think Solomon's addressing here the idea of discussion in a class. I think he's addressing the idea that a lot of God's people come thinking they know everything already. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care how long you've been in the faith. I've been in ministry for 20 years now, and there are still things I learn. And incidentally, from the Sabbath school lesson. And let me say one other thing. that uh, It's a trap I think we've fallen into. What do we study for Sabbath school? Amen, I heard so. Now, there's a thing called the quarterly. You know the quarterly. How many of you know the quarterly? Who can tell me the official name of the quarterly? The Adult Bible Study Guide. This is the textbook for Sabbath school. And I have to confess myself that before I was in the Sabbath school department, I did not study a lot of the quarterly. And I've had other pastors now tell me, I just don't study, I don't get a lot out of it. Here's the problem. You're just looking at the quarterly. I mean, different topics are going to appeal to different people. In one quarter, you're going to say, oh, this is great, and I'm going to say, oh, it's not my favorite, and then the next quarter, it may be different. But every quarter is based on Scripture. And as I have gone to the Bible to read the passages that the lesson is based on, you can't come away from reading Scripture without being inspired and revived. But a lot of our Sabbath schools have people who come just to talk and not to learn. There needs to be teaching. Sabbath school teachers don't call themselves teachers anymore. They call themselves facilitators. That's become a very popular expression. You know what a facilitator does? It's a moderator. He moderates discussion. And let me tell you something, Sabbath school teachers, those Sabbath school teachers who are facilitators or moderators, what you have done is you have relinquished your teaching role to somebody else in the class, because somebody's always teaching. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, I've had new members come to church 
and they come to Sabbath school class, and they're like, at the end of the class, they'll come up and say, boy, I wish I, wish I could have heard a little bit more, but brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so basically took the lesson over from their seat because you wouldn't teach. Now, again, I'm not talking, I'm not downing discussion, but what Pastor Cameron, and here's one other thing that tends to happen. For those who do try to teach the lesson, many Sabbath school teachers have gotten the idea, and probably from bad modeling, that the way to teach the lesson is to go through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Do you know why the lesson is... Let me make something clear to you. The original author, contributor of the lesson, it's actually a contributor and their editors and everything else, of that week's lesson did not write it in a Sabbath, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday format. They came up with a lesson, and then they had to fit it into that format. You know why they fit it in that format? For you to daily study as a devotional help. As a Sabbath school teacher, I think it's mean to the people who actually studied to walk them through what they just went through all week. I think the Sabbath school teacher needs to draw something out of that lesson that they can share with the class. So Pastor Cameron and I, in fact, during the COVID, there's a lot of background to this I'm not going to take time to share right now, but we came up with a program called Talking Points. How many of you are familiar with Talking Points? Okay, if you go to the website, michigansspm.org, you will find it there. We have a YouTube channel and we post them each week a synopsis of the lesson where we draw three points out of the lesson. Now, we did this especially to help teachers to get an idea of how to draw points out of the lesson. And we say over and over, it's not a straitjacket. You don't have to use our points. But we're trying to teach teachers how to draw points out of the lesson because if you can go through the lesson, you know, we, we, we semi-joke about this. When we've taught, we've taught and trained in, a, in, in, in multiple places. And we semi-joke about how, you know, in Sabbath school, typically you go to adult Sabbath school and, and you're, you're, you're down to the end and the clock is, time is up and you hear the teacher say, well, we're halfway through Monday. You know why you laugh? We found out over and over that that's really very true. And here's the tragedy of it. Sometimes the best stuff in the lesson comes up on Wednesday or Thursday. And so we are encouraging teachers to go through the lesson and draw out the key points. And if you know that there are like three key points, then if you have 45 minutes or you have 25 minutes or everything went long and you have 15 minutes, you can still hit your key points. So that's what talking points is for. And, and we thought at camp meeting, you know, panel discussion, this is what a panel discussion is. You get a group of people, we get together the night before, we rehearse everything we're gonna say. So you're gonna say this and you're gonna say this and you're gonna say this. But this was our challenge. That's not what happens in the local church. And as a department, our job in the conference is to help you in the local church to revi have revived Sabbath schools. So we thought, to the best of our ability in a group like this, this is not an ideal setting for Sabbath school. Small group is the ideal setting for Sabbath school. I encourage you to have small group Sabbath schools. But to the best of our ability, we wanted to model what a Sabbath school would be like, what a class would be like. So what we're going to do this morning is I have tapped in to our um, Youth Rush evangelism leader, and I'm hoping he's in the room somewhere. Pastor David Pano, are you anywhere nearby? They, they may be in the back. Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. 
<laughs> I talked to them this morning, but I didn't know where they were going to sit. And I wanted to call them, hey, why don't you bring your group up here? And, and when we get, and, and go ahead and get seated. I'm going to sit right over here. What I asked Pastor David Panya to do for this week is to take some of our youth rush leaders for our summer evangelism program, and they're going to be part of the class this morning. We did not rehearse this last night. All I told them to do is study the lesson like a member would study the lesson. And then I'm going to teach the lesson by drawing out points. Now listen, you might have drawn out different points, and that's your privilege to do so. But I think it's important when we come away from Sabbath school that we actually have come away learning something and not just sharing what we already knew. How many of you agree with that? So hopefully we'll have something that we gain this week from that so we have some youth rush leaders with David Panya, the director. David, I'm going to have you introduce yourself and, and our, our team here. And you know Pastor Cameron. And then we're going to dive into this week's Sabbath school lesson from the Adult Bible Study Lesson Guide. <laughs> I still call it the quarterly, too. Um, on covenant faith. David Panya. Hey, good to meet you. My name is David. Uh, I am... Um, where I work in the conference and I am in charge of the canvassing programs in the summer. I'm the assistant uh, on the publishing department. Oh, my name is Seth, um, and I am one of the leaders, uh, one of the Youth Rush leaders for the Youth Rush program in Lansing this summer. My name is Etienne, and I am um, one of Seth's students in the Lansing program of Youth Rush this year. My name is Emily, and I'm one of the leaders uh, in the Warren program from the Detroit area. My name is Asalia. I'm one of uh, Emily's students at the Warren program. All right. Fantastic. And these guys are going around Michigan, and the Lord is using them to reach people with the gospel. What do you say to that? Amen. So this morning, our lesson is on covenant faith. How many of you studied your lesson? Does anybody want to say the memory verse? <laughs> I'm not going to press them for this this morning. This is something else that I've been challenged with. You ever notice what we do? In, you know what we do in adult Sabbath school, don't you? We start out, and what's the first thing the teacher says? Would somebody like to what? Is that, like, what if they did that in your kids' divisions? Would somebody like to read the memory? You're like, I worked all week with them on this. They need to recite it. So I'd encourage you to memorize the memory verse. Um, this morning, though, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass, take one of these and pass that around. I just have some, some quotes I'm going to share, and I want to help them help read. Our lesson this week, so, but you did study the lesson. Excellent. Very good. Uh, what I want to do is I want to begin our lesson with prayer, and then we're going to dive into the lesson on covenant faith. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the Sabbath day. What a privilege we have, Father, to come and learn of you. Father, we pray that in Sabbath school today, Lord, and in all of our Sabbath school opportunities, we would realize there's still much to learn and you have much to teach. Just give us that openness of understanding. And I pray the Spirit of God would speak to us this morning. And I ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, the, the quarterly, this quarter, has been on... The Promise is the title of it, and really it's on the Everlasting Covenant. It's take to, taken a viewpoint on covenants from many different angles. And one thing I drew out, this, this week's lesson is on covenant faith. 
um, from my perspective, because the, the difference, the primary difference, especially when contrasting the Old and New Covenants, seems to be the faith experience. Now, we're going to get into this, and I'm going to pose some questions to you in a minute. But I'm going to ask if one of you would look up Romans 9, 30 to 32 and read that for us. Seth, could you do that for us? Romans 9, 30 to 32. Whenever, go ahead. Yes. Romans 9, 30 through 32. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. All right. And let's look at one more. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. And did you say Olivia? Asalia. Asalia. Sorry about that. You were, you were going to be Olivia, right. That's why I got it in my head. There's nothing but... Sally, could you read verse uh, 2 for us there in Hebrews chapter 4? For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Okay, so both of these verses, what's the, what seems to be the significant thing that was lacking? Faith was the thing that, that kind of derailed everything. So, thus the lesson this week on covenant faith. And we're looking at the faith experience. If you've gone through the lesson... I've drawn three points out of this week's lesson, so I'm going to tell you the three points that I want to cover in the lesson, and we'll go through them one by one. But number one point that I drew out was that we are saved by the righteousness of Christ alone. And I drew that from Sunday and Monday's lessons in the, in the quarterly. Um, just a little note for those of you who are teachers. You're never going to cover everything that there is to cover. And sometimes teachers just knock themselves out trying, I can't cover this and I can't cover that. That's not your job. That's why the students have the book and can do their own study. Um, I'm drawing out the points that I felt uh, uh, spoke to me. We are saved by the righteousness of Christ alone. That's number one. Number two, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us by faith. We're going to talk about what that means. Drew that from Tuesday's lesson in the story of Abraham. And number three, the imputed righteousness of Christ transforms the believer. Number three, that I drew out of the lesson. And so um, we're going to dive into that first point. We're saved by the righteousness of Christ alone. Somebody read for me Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Emily, you haven't read yet. Would you do that? Sure. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no, no, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What is that telling us? That's not complicated, is it? Like, why are you asking that question? But you know that there are people regularly, even I've heard church people say, well, there are other ways to heaven. There are other paths to heaven. There are, what would you say to somebody who says all roads lead to heaven as long as a person's sincere? It's not biblical. <laughs> okay. It's not biblical. What are some problems with it? With that kind of thinking? It's because uh, then it's salvation. Uh, I mean, the active power of salvation is on the person, not in God. You know, you, you, that's when we start the derail, derail, uh, we start focusing on ourselves instead of focusing on God. What I do, who I am, 
uh, stuff like that that will be the way of salvation. All right. Good answer. Um, how many of you have heard people say something like that? Yeah, we're, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter which direction you go, even outside of Christianity, there are other roads to heaven. How many of you realize that, that some of ro those roads are mutually exclusive? You know, it feels good to just kind of like, oh, we're all going to agree and get along, but the reality is, for example, a Christian says that in my flesh dwells no good thing. But Eastern religion says, everything's good in me, I just need to develop it. Those are mutually exclusive ideas, right? And so all roads can't possibly end as, uh, why are we having this discussion, right? Because as Seth pointed out, the scripture says, there's one way. And that one way is Jesus Christ. Why is that the only way? Because he's the only one who, pay, who can pay. That's, uh, I, I was just sharing with, uh, before it's like, um, I just checked, you know, Jeff Bezos, uh, his net worth uh, to a couple of days ago, it was uh, nine, uh, $193 billion. <laughs> and uh, wow. let's say if I have a debt of $193 billion, he's the only one who, pick, who can pay it. And he is the only one. And that's the kind of dealing that we're facing here. We're facing the debt of sin. And, and there's no one else that I can pay for that. Amen. There's no one else. In this case, you know, and then we're going to go into that, like, if, if you can pay it. Cameron, uh, you, you got a comment, it looks like, too. Oh, I, I've always I'd got like a comment. Read... Sure. <laughs> okay. You yep. want to make the comment before or after the Go ahead. I, I would like to read what you would want me to read. <laughs> He's such a nice director. You. Matt, uh, uh, Mark chapter 10, because okay. your, your thought, this is building on the very thought we're talking about. Mark 10, okay. verse 18, just looking at Jesus' response when the rich young ruler came up to him and said, good teacher. Mark 10, verse 18, yes. is that correct? All right. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Yeah, this goodness, because you'll hear people say, well, I'm a good person. Or it's good. And those are relative terms and might be self-affirming terms, but it's not a biblical concept that, you know, that even the idea of salvation is like a good enough proposition. Well, if I could be good enough or at least better than or not as bad as, that, that it's some sort of modification of a norm. If I could be a little better or I can attain to this, and you see it inside and outside of the Christian church that somehow we have this misunderstanding that salvation is dependent on oh, well, I'll get there, or I'll good enough, or I'll improve, when we have to come to the biblical thing, understanding that we are beyond a mere modification. Our problem is bigger than a simple remedy of even behavioral adjustment could atone for. We have to have something outside of us bigger than us. That's right. And, you know, Sister White talked about how even angels, because we say, well, it's got to be a sinless being. But, friends, Jesus is more than just a sinless being. Mm -hmm. There are sinless angels who offer themselves. But it doesn't just say through angels or Jesus. There's only one. Christ is uniquely suited, given our sin problem, to be our sin solution. And That's the right. biblical concept is different than every other, quote, path to heaven, because those paths are, in reality, dead ends. Only one actually works. Well, I think this is at kind of the heart of what you're saying here in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, where Jesus says, no one is good but one that is God. His point is, God alone is righteous. God alone is the source of righteousness. 
An angel isn't a source of righteousness, no created being, and so there is no other road. Like, if righteousness is required for heaven, there's only one place to get it, and that's the point. Number one, we're saved by the righteousness of Christ alone because there is no other righteousness. Emily? Just on that point, I was, I was studying this week, and something that stood out to me in Acts 4 is that it, it's, it's an interesting phrase it uses. It doesn't say... Um, doesn't say Jesus is the only way to salvation, which is true, mm -hmm. right? But it says there's no other name under heaven. And any of us who study scripture, we know when you go back to Exodus 34, name is character. You know, God's name is, is mm -hmm. so closely re related and connected to his character. And character is righteous. I mean, it's, it's all together. And so it's this idea. It's, it's, not just, um, it's not just like, oh, Jesus is the only way to salvation, but it has to do with his, his character, his righteousness, He's the only one that's good that can actually save us from this pit of sin that's, that's the problem. And, and without that, there's no other way. Amen. Okay, so uh, Seth, I see you have your quarterly open there. Could you read uh, Sunday's lesson, the first paragraph on that page? First paragraph on Sunday's lesson. In fact, yeah, just the first two sentences there. Right. The Old Testament way of salvation under the Mosaic Covenant is no different from the New Testament way of salvation under the New Covenant. Whether in the Old or New Testament, Old or New Covenant, salvation is by faith alone. Now, I first looked at that and I thought, well, there was quite a difference with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But I think that the, the, the contributor of the lesson is, the point they're making is simply that there is only one way of salvation. There's only ever been one way. And how many of you run into people who say that uh, there are uh, this is not something Seventh-day Adventists believe, but some other evangelical Christians believe that Jews were saved by commandment keeping, but in the New Testament were saved by grace. Anybody, how many of you heard that? Dispensationalism. Um, this, this dispensation was saved one way, and this saved another way. Was anybody ever saved by keeping the commandments? There's only one way anybody's ever been saved, and that's what I drew from that, that first couple sentences. Like, you can talk all around it, but there's only one way of salvation ever, and that's through the righteousness of Christ. Which leads us into how we get it. And that's point number two. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us by faith. Now this was drawn out of the, the, the story of Abraham there on Tuesday. It starts the faith of Abraham part one. Let's go to uh, Romans chapter four and read one through three. Now young man in the middle, I, I didn't get your name because I was looking at my notes when you introduced yourself. What was your name again? Etienne. Etienne. Could you, uh, yeah, could you read Romans 4, 1 through 3 for us, please? All right. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, so here's, here's the question. Was Abraham righteous? Or was, no. Abraham count, was Abraham counted as righteous? And what's the difference? Yes. I mean, just as some, some evidence for that, if we actually go back to the original story in Genesis 15 and 16, um, Genesis 15 is where God makes the promise to Abraham where he says, and where it says Abraham was uh, counted. He, uh, yes. 15 verse 6, he believed in the Lord, he accounted it to him, for righteousness, this is the promise that, that he would bear offspring. Um, however, when we go to 16, I think it's verse 2, um, Sarah basically says to Abraham, hey, 
this trusting in God thing just isn't really working. Let's try this other way. And Abraham's like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And so you can see that um, God counted it to, you know, to him for righteousness. He, he counted him as righteous, but Abraham himself, you know, there was, there was still a, his, his character itself was not, had not magically become perfect overnight. Absolutely right. Um, does somebody else want to say something now? Cameron, you have your quarterly there. Could you do me a favor and read Tuesday's lesson? Um, I believe it's the last paragraph, paragraph three on Tuesday's lesson. Sure. However much Abram's life was a life of faith and obedience, it was not a life of perfect faith and perfect obedience. At times he displayed weaknesses in both areas. And it parenthesis says, does that sound like anyone you know? I took that personally. All right. <laughs> All <laughs> of which... Le- supposed to. <laughs> I think that's the intent, yeah. All of which leads to the cru- crucial point, and that is, the righteousness that saves us is a righteousness that is credited to us, credited to us, a righteousness that is, to use a fancy theological term, imputed to us. This means that we are declared righteous in the sight of God, despite our faults, It means that the God of heaven views us as righteous even if we are not. This is how he saw Abram, and this is how he will see all who come to him in the faith of Abram. Okay, I think that's a great statement. And it made me think of, uh, I was looking at it in here, and I realized as we've been doing our Talking Points program, we have to get ahead. So we're like halfway through the next quarterly. (laughs) And I think it was in the next quarterly, but it it asked the question in one place, How is it, why is it, that some of these flawed Bible characters are all listed as heroes in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith? How can God be putting flawed people in the Hall of Faith? What would you say to that? Because it wasn't about them, it was about him. Okay. You want to elaborate on that? I think just this, this, this concept, this idea that when God, like, there, there's, there was a quote I was reading from Faith and Works um, as I was studying the lesson that really kind of illustrated this thought. Um, it says, souls, souls and bodies are defiled and polluted by sin. The heart is estranged from God, yet many are struggling in their own finite strength to win salvation by good works. Jesus, they think, will do some of the saving. They must do the rest. They must be led to see the righteousness, sorry, they need to see by faith the righteousness of Christ as their only hope for time and for eternity. And it's that, and we're, we're probably going to dive into a little bit more of, of mm-hmm. the process of becoming righteous, but in this, in this concept, it's that it's not your righteousness at any point in the time. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's not your works, it's not what you do that makes you righteous. It's what God does on your behalf and in you. And so at the end, the reason why these people, Abraham, Jacob, um, Jethro, even, you know, some of these people that that made mistakes get listed in the hall of of faith is because they trusted in the righteousness of Christ as their only hope for salvation, and that's what matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really good. Go ahead. And just a brief comment in addition addition to that, when you you look at the specific examples in in Hebrews 11, I'm here right now, for example, in Hebrews 11.11, speaking about Sarah, it says... By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to concede seed. She bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, anyone who's actually read the, the story of Sarah realizes that that's, 
I mean, I think what's the term, like a hagiography? Where, where, you know, it's, it's like they, they just took all, all the bad parts and just showed the good parts, but right. that's kind of the point, is that when, when God, you know, counts us as righteous, when, when we read the stories of them later on, he doesn't, you know, what it, what it highlights, what, what is remembered is, is what God did in their lives, what God did through them, not the mistakes that they made. If it were based on us, who would be in the Hall of Faith? I mean, honestly, like that. It'd be the Hall of Fail. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. The Hall of Fail, I like that. And I like what Emily said, and I've told people before, when we read about these people in the Bible, they're not, not the heroes of the Bible. God is the hero of the Bible. Amen. And these, the, 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 every instance of a, of a man or woman of faith is an evidence that God is the hero of the Bible. Um, I gave you guys a little handout, and at the top of that, there's a, there's a quote from Desire of Ages 667. Um, Seth, could you read that for us? Certainly. It says, Through the value of the sacrifice made for them, they are of value in the Lord's sight. Because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, they are accounted precious. For Christ's sake, the Lord pardons those that fear him. He does not see, them, does not see in them the vileness of the sinner. He recognizes in them the likeness of his Son, wow. in whom they believe. What a powerful statement. Um, so let, let's look at Romans. I want to look at something here in this account of Abraham where, where in essence, just as this Desire of Ages statement says, and as we've just mentioned, when Abraham believed God, when we exercise faith, God puts the righteousness of Christ to our account, and God does not see in us the vileness of the sinner, but he recognizes in us the likeness of his son. I want you to look at a few things in Abraham's experience. We're going to jump to verse 16. And let's see. Can you read for me verses 16 to 18? Etienne, could you read verses 19 to 22? Starting in Romans 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Verse 19, 22. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to, also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, if you look at verse 22, what's the word it says there? And therefore. therefore. What's another expression for therefore? Because of this, for this reason. For this reason it was accounted. So what the Bible's telling us is Abraham had a quality of faith. And anybody who has that same quality of faith will receive the same righteousness of Christ that Abraham did. And I just want to note the quality of his faith. First of all, I'm going to ask some specific questions about this passage. What specifically did Abraham believe about the God he believed in in verse 17? 
Go ahead. That he's he's the God who gives life to the dead. Okay. And he calls those things that are not as though they are, and by that makes them so. What what an expression. He calls those things that aren't as though they are. What is that saying? What, and what does that mean in my personal experience, Seth? Yeah, I think it it's almost referring back to creation when God says, you know, let, let there be light, or let there be trees or, or plants or whatever, is that he had this, this un- recognition that when, when God when God says certain things, when God says so, guess says when God says something, it, it comes into being. God, God's word is is not just like de- declarative. It's just as I, you know, it's if creative. I say, hey, there's there's plants here, that's not going to make a difference. But when God says there's plants there, plants appear. Yes. And so Abraham, Abraham recognized that when God says something that's impossible, it ceases to be impossible. Okay. So there, there's there's a, a quality of Abraham's faith that says he believes that God can. Bring the dead to life, and God can create things out of nothing. Okay? Um, what was his faith based upon? Verse 18. It's right there toward the end. The promise of God. What does it say in Scripture, just to clarify? So shall thy seed be. Okay. There's something else there I'm fishing for. According to... What was spoken. What was spoken. What's that referring to? God's promise. God's promise, as, as Etienne said, God's word, right? Abraham believed it because God had said it. And so he had a quality of faith that believed that God could raise the dead, that God could call things into existence that aren't, and he believed it based upon the fact that when God says something, it's going to happen. Cameron, you're busting to say that. I, I am do. dying over here. Um, <laughs> Because this is so rich, and there's such good material. I mean, this is such a profound story. And when we talk about the experience of Abraham and his faith and being accounted as righteous, you know, oftentimes we will read Genesis 15, verse 6, and then sit back and we all give our thoughts on it, which are good. But what we want to do is get the Bible's thoughts on it, Mm because the Bible is its own interpreter. Scripture interprets itself. And here in Romans, the Apostle Paul is referring back. and, And let's think about, for instance, Why does he emphasize who gives life to the dead? Was there some experience of Abraham that he had faith that God could put life into dead people? Yes, Genesis 22. And that the hall of faith brings that up in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about, you know, the Bible even tells us what Abraham was thinking when he went to slay his own son Isaac. And he was considering that God somehow had these, was going to resolve what had to be a massive, you know, uh, contradiction of thought. Somehow this is your only, and Edior already said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He already had a son. He said, no, no, but I want that son, the only son of faith, take him up and kill him. And through him, I'm going to give you a great nation. That is cognitive dissonance. <laughs> well, you notice that Paul also calls Abraham already dead in verse 19 he was already dead not being weak in faith he did not consider his own body already dead since he's about 100 years old and also (laughs) hebrews says that isaac was you know basically already dead he was good as dead he was going to kill him so and the deadness of sarah's womb and the deadness of so there's a lot of like yeah god can speak something that is not possible with man and make it so but when god to your point seth when god speaks something it is done with an authority beyond what we would deem possible. 
he speaks and things happen because he spoke it. And so, you know, how different okay. would the creation story be if he just reckoned it done? Now, now I, I want to interject <laughs> something else okay. into this. In this context, the Bible says Abraham refused to consider something in verse 19. Mm. What did he refuse to consider? His own body. His own body and... The deadness of Sarah's womb. Uh, let's break that down. His own body, what would that be in practical terms to you or me? I mean, if I'm considering my own body, what I would be considering? Reality. My reality. own what? Sinfulness. Weakness, Weakness, right? I mean, God, this is impossible because, it, you know, we're looking at our own weaknesses or Sarah's womb would be what? My circumstances. Yeah. Abraham didn't... How many times when we talk about whether we can overcome and be good Christians, where we say, well, but I'm so weak. But if I were situated differently, like those are the things. And notice, what does the Bible refer to? How does the Bible refer to those who do consider their own body and circumstances? Because Abraham was not that. Mm -hmm. It says he was not what? Weak in faith. Weak in faith. What the Bible's telling us is to be, if you're considering your own weaknesses, you're weak in faith. Abraham wasn't weak in faith. He didn't mm. think about his own weaknesses. He thought about God's strength, right? Mm. And then, what did he believe God was able to do in verse 21? Essentially that he, he saw this direct line, this direct connection from the promise of God to its realization in reality. There was no, like, disconnection that, well, God's promised something, so we'll see what happens. It's, well, God has promised it, so it's as good as done, mm -hmm. and I can base the rest of my life and my decisions and my existence on, on the direct and immovable connection between God's promise and what reality can become as a result of that. All right, fantastic. So Abraham believed that what? What was God able to do? Perform. He will do it. Perform whatever he was promised. How... How much did he believe it? I mean, the Bible says he was fully convinced, fully, convinced. fully persuaded. Now, I just want to recap that Abraham believed that God was a God that could give life to the dead, that God could call things to existence, even in my life, that aren't. He believed that God was good to his promises, so much so that whatever God said, God was fully able to perform, even if it sounded preposterous. And he refused to consider his own weakness and circumstances. And the Bible says that quality of faith, anybody who has that quality of faith will have the righteousness of Christ imputed to their account just as it was to Abraham. Just to add that, to make it practical for, for us, you know, yes. how does it look like? Many times, uh, and everybody knows maybe here that every time that you try to get closer to God, problems come. Like all the time. Satan is never happy. Uh, it is nice to be faithful when you have a, a job, when no problems, well, health is all well in your house, and it's, it's, it's fine to be faithful. It's, it's easy. The problem comes is when sickness comes to your family, uh, mm -hmm. when you lose your job, when circumstances, you know, are seeming opposing uh, to your faithful life. And that, those are the times that we we ought to develop and strengthen that faith that we, we, have, we have had. I mean, Abraham had that 
home. He was, he was wealthy. God bless him and everything. But he had to develop that faith during that time for him to overcome in the toughest times. I mean, for him to believe that you know, something literally impossible, uh, he had to trust and believe, you know, and they can, you know, the canvassers, I'll tell you this, I being a canvasser, you don't wake up every morning, oh, I want to go out in the heat and talk to Jesus, uh, talk to people about Jesus, and some of them, there's lamb at the door, doors at me, and I'm super happy about it. You know, sometimes <laughs> you do wake up like that. I'm going to conquer the world, but sometimes you're kind of like, man, I'm, I feel tired, it's too hot. And when you start knocking at doors, they slam the doors at you in your face. And, and you, know, you know, the weather is against you. People are against you. And, and suddenly your feelings are against you. You don't want to be there. And that, those are the times that you, the only thing that you can trust is the word of God. That's because right. he said so. And you have to stay there. And just this is, the, this is the very practical lesson for us. What's the difference between those who are in the hall of faith and those who aren't? And it's obviously faith. But where it really gets um, practical is what is your focus on? And one very good example that I'd like to bring out is David in his sin with Bathsheba. In his deepest depths of sin in his whole life, his focus was not on himself or his sin or even on other people that he had transgressed. It was, it was God. And he says in Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. His focus is not on himself. It's on God. And in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So really, the, the game changer for us is where is our focus? Who are we focusing on? Are we focusing on ourselves? Or are we focusing on Jesus, who really can do everything in us? Amen. All right. Well, we got about five minutes. I want to move into this last point while we have the, the, the time to do so. And that is the imputed righteousness of Christ transforms the believer. I want you to look at Romans 4 again. We're there in where Romans 4, 3 says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness or imputed or whatever. What experience in the Christian life are we talking about here? Look at verse 2. If Abraham was what? Justified, Justified. by works. So what are we talking about? Justification, justification by faith. Justification. Does justification by faith make an inward change in the believer. Now, this is a discussion, I don't know how many of you wear this, in theological circles. And I've heard a lot of discussions say, well, God, when he, you know, when he justifies a person, he, it's just a declaration. And it, and it doesn't include a change in the individual. But as we've already stated, and I, I, I remember it from reading Jones and Wagner's writings, it's true it's a declaration. But what happens when God declares anything? It becomes something. There's creative power yes. in what he says. Is a justified person changed? Now, the text that comes to my mind, I guess, to get to, I had more, but John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Let's look at John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5 in our closing minutes here. And Emily, would you read that for us? And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, is that an external work or an internal work? Mm. Internal. Oh, it's mm -hmm. both. 
It's both, right? The answer is yes. And a person has to be, if a person is not born of the Spirit, he's not fit for the kingdom of God. But we're, we're, we're told in inspiration that justification is our fitness for heaven. And I found an interesting statement. Now, I have these written out for you. I want to look at two of them. Uh, Desire of Ages 388. Um, I'm going to have, could you read that for us, please? And then, um, Cameron, if you would read the last one from Thoughts from the Mental Blessing, page 18. Those who see Christ in his true character and receive him into the heart have everlasting life. It is through the spirit that Christ dwells in us, and the spirit of God received into the heart by faith is the beginning of the life eternal. The spirit of God received into the heart by faith is the beginning of life eternal. This is common, incidentally, on this conversion experience of Nicodemus. Now, this next one is, is fascinating. The righteousness of God is embodied in Christ. We receive righteousness by receiving him. Now, I just want to end on that point. I think a lot of people today have made the mistake of separating the righteousness of Christ from the person of Christ. Mm. And so they say, God can make a declaration, it's an external, legal, it's all forensic, done on the books. You can't have the righteousness of Christ without the person of Christ. Mm. And the way a person receives, when Abraham received righteousness, what he received was the person of Christ dwelling in his heart by faith through the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I want to encourage you here today that if you want the righteousness of Christ, you must receive Christ into your heart by faith. And when you do, the Bible assures that you will be a new creature in Christ. And when that takes place, then you have the assurance with God, and you know that you have the title to heaven. Uh, let's, we're, I, I want to take a, f a few more comments, but we're out of time this morning. But we did cover our three points. We're not just through Monday's lesson. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, Father, there's so much more that we, we could have talked about in this lesson. Your word is so rich and so full, and I pray that you would help us, your people, especially in these last days, to be mining the truths out of the word, to be spending more time in the word and letting the truths of Scripture change us and transform us, Lord, especially that we may know Jesus, that we may have the person of Jesus dwelling in our hearts by faith, that we may with the apostle be able to say, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, may this be uh, uh, true for each one gathered here for this camp meeting. Bless us through the remainder of this Sabbath day and this coming week. May we be drawn closer to you and may people who come in contact with us know that we have been spending time with Jesus. We ask and pray these things in his name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.